say his name. I dare you. Candyman. 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 Don't. Don't say that. Candyman. Welcome back to the one and only Minorities Report Film Podcast, the review edition. And this is your colorful perspective into Candyman. Your fair minorities are here. We are reporting for duty. My name is Raul, and here with me, I got my boy, Mo Shama. Say my name. Hi, everyone. It's Mo Shama. I just, I just said your name. Say it five times so I can disappear from your life and come in your nightmares. Funny <laughs> that is. <laughs> and here with us also is our purposefully R-rated Kobe Mac from Kobe Told Me. Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mac, and it's good to be back. Yeah. <laughs> Were you guys laughing because, like, I would... Listen, listen. Is it because of the inappropriate implication? Or because... Implication, yeah, the implication. Sure, the implication. I think that's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it the implication. Wow. Um, yeah, listen, before we get into it, I want to talk... Not about Shama's implication, <laughs> but about two massive trailers that dropped that I think we should address real quick before we get into Candyman, but I promise we're going to get into this with the quickness. But first, I want to talk about the Spider-Man quote-unquote teaser trailer. Like, like, is it a teaser trailer, Kobe Mac? I mean, I guess, I guess in a sense that it's finally mm-hmm. teasing us with something. <laughs> uh, Shama, did you watch it? Yes, I did. Because I cannot, I cannot resist it. You know, like I, that's not one of the things that I can resist. Dude, it's and not a teaser. It's not a teaser. Like this for is me, a, like, this is a trailer. For me, like I can build a whole movie upon this trailer. So, like, I don't think it's a teaser. Also. I I don't know about y'all, but like, I find the I find the trailer to be so problematic. I have a lot of issues with I have a lot of issues with the idea that it feels like this film that is like ideally leading into the multiverse of madness is kind of self-contained. And it it doesn't feel like it like it, it like we've been watching these Disney Plus shows, especially you know WandaVision and Loki, and it, it doesn't feel like these have any effect on this film that's coming up. Where like we were just like, oh Loki ends, and we're like, oh this is gonna lead perfectly into Spider Man. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like Spider Man doesn't like the situation he's in. And for some reason, Doctor Strange decides to like play with really, really powerful magic, and that's what's gonna throw things out of whack. And I just, I, just, I don't know. I just don't like where I see this going. Are y'all with me on this? Do you feel differently? 
So Colby is back to experiencing the MCU and being kind of like frustratingly annoying in phase four. And I thought with Loki, things were going to change, right? Um, but what I had to kind of check myself with is that, all right, I think that I've matured past Marvel and the MCU's target audience for these films, right? And I think that's something that like we all kind of got to get with, right? Um, yes, it's been over a decade with the MCU, and the thing is, we believe that these films are supposed to grow with us. What we have to recognize is that these new phases of films are for the people who are ten years. You know what I'm saying? Like that, like are now catching up. And, and what I what I mean by that is like this is so very much for a demographic that needs things to not be so heavy. And I appreciated the heaviness that came with Infinity War and Endgame and the stakes that came along with it. And I've been pissed off by how the MCU has tried to minimize the snap and turn into a blip. And I'm not saying that this trailer makes more of these events to be a joke, but it's starting to feel, once again, inconsequential. You kind of hit on something, right? You said, yo, we literally just had Loki reveal to us the multiverse, right, in 35 plus minutes of an amazing final episode and granted this is only trailer one so there's still room to be able to have things go more but there's several things right what it makes it seem like and i know that this is like taken always the mcu is loosely adapted from the comics so this is the you know the, the um what's, what's the name of the story shop is like what, one more day or whatever storyline or whatever or one whatever day something whatever day right and <sighs> That seems cool and all, right? But because it doesn't feel like like the thing is, I I've been taught to look at the MCU as like everything's supposed to follow the last thing. But technically, it's not supposed to because this is supposed to hit a general audience that may not even have access to Loki or may even care to even watch it at all. So they do have to kind of go about the self-contained. And also remember, this is a Sony movie. Now, obviously, we blurred some lines because it's an MCU, a prominent MCU character. But something about this all at the end makes it seem like the same film and kind of like hokiness that I got with Far From Home. Okay, I remember that like you did not like Far From Home. That episode, I, I still remember it clearly. But to mention this here, yes, it's a Sony movie, but we agreed since since Tom Holland started in, in this Spider-Man universe, it, it's, it's in the MCU. That's why it's produced by Marvel Studios. That's why it has the Marvel Studios name on it. It's not like Venom. It's not like, uh, uh, I forgot Morbius. the name of the other one coming, or Mor- all these things. Yeah. yeah. But um, to add, to, yeah, like you, you, you pointed to something. I remember when Kevin Feige... Uh, said that these movies are coming out, uh, these TV shows on Disney Plus, and they have they they are connected. And to understand something in one of the movies, you have to follow up with one of the TV shows. And I know that um, what we saw at the end of One Division will be connected clearly in the multiverse of madness. And what we saw in in the last episode of Loki is connected to something in Eternals, either the post credit scene or to the beginning of Multiverse of Madness as well. But you pointed to something when you said that this movie is not targeted for us as a demographic. And this adheres or, or, or go coherently with what Scott Derrickson said 
when they had the creative differences by, by with Marvel because he said Marvel wants to keep making the movies for the for for the younger audience like what we were doing he wants to grow with the multiverse of madness with us with him with his age with what he they they have been doing at the beginning so I never thought of it this way even when he said it like I I, I thought like he was just like thinking of scary way or horror, horror way or uh, or dark side of uh, of the MCU but I think what you mentioned might make sense I always believe that like the, the whole MCU is for everybody for every age but yes uh, like 10 years ago when we were like in the 20s it's different from now I still enjoy every single second uh, we, when we when we talk clearly about like Shang Chi and like how, what we saw in the movie, like I still believe that this movie is targeted for the ten years old, twenty years old, thirty year old, thirty years old for me, for the hundred years old, like it's for everyone. And I believe that Eternals would be the same thing. Um, I enjoyed this teaser trailer. If it's if we we're gonna consider a teaser, they might be deceiving us to put us in a point that like oh, this movie will be this movie will be self contained. It might be, but I still believe that it will not. I think it will start this way, and then like half of the movie will twist to something that we did not see yet, that we will not see in the trailers at all, and then we'll say, oh my gosh, what are they going to do? And that will will make us wait on pins and needles till, um, till uh, Multiverse of Madness will come out, because this movie is coming after Eternals. So we, 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 will not, we will not wait for anything till like between... between um, Spider-Man and uh, Multiverse of Madness. There's nothing in the middle, right? If I remember correctly, so 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 it will lead there. And especially like we know that like we will see multiverse. We will see like characters from from the other from the other movies and what's happening. And I think they will fix it in a way or another, or they will fight it in a way or another. Or we are seeing a villain that will come in Multiverse of Madness because of that, or they will regret what Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm did in this movie and they will try to fix it i don't think it's self-contained i i doubt i i doubt it like i'm not leaning towards this idea no i don't see why they can't do both and have movies that are aimed towards the younger audiences and movies that are aimed towards the older audiences and there's blending in between and you know both can enjoy one or the other i'm not saying make a super r-rated movie like james gunn's fur like this marvel kind of worth but like I'm saying just make movies that are a little more mature themed. Also, I just think this is very problematic that it feels like this Spider-Man movie is a lot of flash and a lot of like, ooh, look what we can do. And not so much. uh, You want to say substance because I want to say substance. Substance, yes. But the thing is, is that, you know, the one thing that MCU does, though, even with all of my hangups, they still find these pockets of moments in the film. To kind of give us that, because in Far From Home, why I did ultimately start coming around to it is that you do get those deep moments, right? I'm hope I'm hoping that's what happens here. I'm not. Get, I I got that from the Far From Home trailer. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting that from this one. But so that's what, I guess that's it's what the I'm first one. So the, like, sure, it's a it's the first one a couple of months away. Yes, and that's I have true. Be- it, it, that's different. I mean, yo, what we have to recognize is that we've developed a pattern over the past like eight years where. Yo, when there's a big property coming, we typically get the trailer six to twelve months out. Like, like, and I'm not, and I'm not gonna be made to feel bad. Like, oh, you guys were impatient. Nah, son, this is what they've been doing, so that's the expectation. Now, I've started to watch mm-hmm. trailers less and less and less. We're gonna talk about a trailer that I just haven't watched yet because I don't want my expectations to be set too high. 
to where the movie can't live up to it. That's a big thing that no one really is willing to talk about. That's why for a lot of folks who are like, when are we getting the Spider-Man trailer? When are we getting the Spider-Man trailer? They're like, but to oh, be honest, I expected more because yeah, your expectations were through the roof. And yo, it got watched almost over 400 million times. That's exactly. crazy. I'm waiting for that. Also, like th this movie, this movie is the sh it took the shortest time from them in filming because like of, of the pandemic. And they they wanted to push the movie, but like Sony insisted that like they want the movie to be the movie of the year, the high the highest the highest gross movie of of twenty twenty one will start with it. Like so, and that's why they were pushing, and they are still maintaining the quality. So we, we will see. Maybe we'll get another trailer by like by Eternals time, and we still have like we're three months away. So definitely we'll see in the next one, and uh, we will talk about it later. The second trailer we're going to talk about, uh, Kobe and Shama did not see, but I did. I could not resist. Uh, it is, of course, Pablo Lorraine's Spencer, which is the biopic of Princess Diana starring Kristen Stewart. I tell you what, I got to say, this film is gorgeous. Um, man, if you've, if you've seen Pablo's previous films, you know he just has an, a way of, of adding this, like... <sighs> this texture to his images, to his cinematography, which is, it, it feels so, I don't know. It, it, it just feels great. It feels very unique. It feels very classic, if I can say it in that way. Uh, but the, the film looks beautiful. And I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes at like the idea of Kristen Stewart. I know that she's very polarizing, but yo, she's had some moments where she has done well. And I, from what I'm seeing in this, uh, yeah, in this trailer, I, I'm really digging it, and I'm really excited to see this movie. If you haven't seen it, you know it has the best poster I've seen definitely this year. Uh, one of the best posters probably I've ever seen. Uh, it's absolutely incredible, and check it out. Uh, this film is probably not on a lot of people's radar, but I think it should be because it it really does look like it's going to be something special. Um, like it's going to be something really, really worth taking the time to watch and enjoy. And digest as we, you know, get more information and knowledge on this icon's life yeah. that was cut too short, too soon. You know, I agree with you. Like, I love the poster. Like, it's one of the, my my favorite posters of the year. One of the best of all time. I enjoyed this director's like work in Lizzie's story and in uh, Jackie. Jackie is one of my favorite biopics ever. Of course, like mm -hmm. Natalie Portman was phenomenal, but like. The way of executing the movie from the beginning to the end, like it was like really one of the best. Um, I'm looking forward for this movie. This, despite like my thoughts about like Kristen Stewart, but, like but like uh, sometimes like when she's well directed, she she delivers, you know, and that's what I'm waiting for. It's just like not fair for uh, Elizabeth Debicki because like she's doing great job now for The Crown, the the new season that's coming next year. This one will come before that, but uh, competition is always great to for two different people to play the same role. And Pablo's, uh, I mean, he released that movie Emma, which is is it's getting a lot of buzz right now. Uh, it's reviewed on our site by Hector Gonzalez. Check it out. Um, and Lizzie's story, Lizzie's story, <laughs> um, yeah, which also has a lot of. I've seen the first episode, which I loved. I've not seen the whole thing uh, with Julianne Moore. And Clavo, and and I think that's worth watching. So he's really he's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got a lot of stuff that's coming out for him that people should be excited about. And this is just another one to add on there. So if you haven't checked it out, I definitely say check out the, the trailer. Definitely check out the poster. It's going to be one that I'm definitely going to be getting. Uh, so yeah, 
But yo, I think it's time. I think it's time to get into this, 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 uh, long-awaited film. Before we get into it, though, make sure you give the show a follow at mreportpod on Twitter, on Instagram. Also, check out the site, mreportpod.com. You can see my written review on there of the very film we're going to be talking about today. Uh, if you don't get enough of this conversation, go check it out. Hey, go check it out anyway. Uh, and yeah, again, that's mreportpod.com. First up, and only on the report, it's going to be first our quick non-spoiler general thoughts, followed by a full spoiler-filled combo of Candyman. A spiritual sequel to the horror film Candyman from 1992, the gentrified Chicago neighborhood of Cabrini Green has a history of violence at the hands of white oppressors, of police, and more recently at the hands of the men, the myth, the hive. Candyman. Written by Jordan Peele, Wynn Rosenfeld, and Nia DaCosta, based on the characters by Clive Barker and Bernard Rose, directed by Nia DaCosta, starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Tiana Paris, Nathan Stewart Jarrett, Coleman Domingo, and Vanessa Williams. Shama, can you walk us through, uh, through uh, the, 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 the uh, mess that this film went through? Because of, uh, the world that we live in, yeah, yeah. Candyman was originally scheduled to be released on June twelfth of twenty twenty, and then once the pandemic hit, they pushed it to September twenty fifth of twenty twenty, then to October of the same year. Then they said, like, let's push it to next year without like thinking of of any other thoughts of April or May. They said like it has to be summer end of summer movie, and they pushed it to August twenty seventh of twenty twenty one which we finally got the movie. As you mentioned, since the original one was released in 1992 and people were always like waiting for either like a strong sequel or a continuation of the story or a reboot or a soft reboot or, or any kind of work. Throughout the years, there have been like several projects they have been working on between MGM and Universal and some big names in the industry, but they never succeeded in, in fulfilling this. In September 2018, Jordan Peele announced that he's in talks to produce a sequel of, of, the, of the original film through his production company with uh, Braun, a movie company, and uh, Universal to distribute it, and MGM to be into, um, involved as well. Then in January 2019, they met, there were like rumors that Lakeith Stanfield will be playing Anthony McCoy. And then two months after that, the whole cast was uh, introduced and we know that uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II will be playing Anthony McCoy. And wh- when they mentioned that he'll be playing Anthony McCoy, everybody knew, okay, because like the name is distinct. So we know who he is and what's going to happen. Let's, uh, let's get into our general thoughts, guys. Shama, I'll go ahead and start with you. Give us your non-spoiler general thoughts on this movie. This movie was literally one of the most anticipated movies for me uh, in 2020. Like uh, when we talked about it, like in 2019, when, like late 2019 or early 2020, when we were we had the first uh, trailer, um, I was so excited to um, to watch it. Um, I saw Little Woods for with Nia Da Costa, and I said like, oh, this brilliant director, uh, this brilliant talented person, we need to see more from her. 
And when she, when the when they chose her to um, to write write and be involved in this movie, writing this movie, directing this movie, and even before this movie was released, when Kevin Feige got a chance to so early cut of the movie, and the, the uh, Marvel and Disney chose her to direct the sequel to Captain Marvel, uh, which at that time was called Captain Marvel Two, and now it's called the Marvels. I was more excited because, like, when Disney will will give this project to a director that only did two movies one of them was like really limited and the second one is not released yet this is like great great faith in a talented um filmmaker but uh, to talk about like this this movie um it's an it's an entertaining experience it it, honestly it barely reached my expectations like i i expected way higher than this like uh I was enjoying the movie. The pace was really good, like in, in the hour and almost hour and 30 minutes or a little bit more. Um, but I, there is something that, that took me away. Like I, I enjoyed like, um, of course, like the, the blend of the creative minds of, of Jordan Peele and Neil Costa together writing the movie, but, and the social commentary on what's happening and the involvement of the police and involving this with like something like supernatural metaphysics or like non, not not real and um and utilizing the world of of the original candy man to to reboot it and explain it in a way but overall it did not deliver what i was expected expecting it it did not deliver what i was looking for um there is like a couple of good performances in the movie few well written dialogues a good storyline but nothing is outstanding. Continuing on that, my general thoughts are, you know, visually, the film plays with a lot of elements that really, really work. You know, we get the shadow puppets, you know, being one of the things that we witnessed a year ago. You know, as they release this little short uh, uh, that would kind of entice us and get us excited. Um, and we got to see Anita Costa uses these shadow puppets really well. And I love the, the like, purposefully unfinished touched that they have you know where you can see the hands that control the puppets very much serving as a type of narrator uh to these stories that all feed into the hive of Candyman. there are also some really interesting and fun kills in the film of course it's a slasher film you know um and, and there's a lot of really great kills that you well there's there's a couple of really good kills that you cannot help but admire. Um, that being said, there are also some gruesome kills that people should be prepared for. It is a slasher-esque film, though, so like, it's no surprises there. But one or two moments, I was surprised. <laughs> um, where the visuals kind of fall apart for me is in the body horror, which I was not expecting walking into this movie. You know, none of the, the trailers, at least for me from what I remember, told me that, you know, gross, rotting flesh that gets worse and worse as the film progresses and we see it. Um, you know, I'm very averse to to body horror. I don't like it. I've said this many times before. And I, I, I did not walk into this movie thinking that I was going to get that. Um, you know, there were audible sounds of grossness and disgust all across my screening. And it happened more than one occasion. Um, and and that was that was tough for me. I know that a lot of people have this struggle, this struggle, and and they're averse to body horror. For I think that's something that people should be aware of as they walk into it. Um, and it's not 
the, the body horror is bad when I say the visuals fall apart. It's it. it I guess they don't really. It, it's in the sense that it's not that it's bad. It's that it's just too much, and I don't think that it's needed for the story that's being told. I feel like it was just extra, extra f- gore. Um, also, I think the narrative really falls apart, and the film becomes a stereotypical slasher. In in the worst sense of the meaning, maybe not the worst, but like not in the great sense of the meaning. Uh, think of why horror is considered a, you know, quote unquote, like bad, uninspired genre that focuses on the kills rather than the story, on the shock and awe. And I feel like for a lot of this film, that's what we get here, where it's like very much not what I was expecting to get, knowing that Jordan Peele was attached, knowing that, you know, the trailers that we had gotten, the, the, the flat, the shadow puppet, uh, imagery and story and little short that we got. That's not what I was expecting. Um, on top of that, I feel the pacing is a serious issue in this film. Uh, the film starts off very, very slow. Then at some point, it's almost like it remembers that it's only 90 minutes long and then tries to catch up with the runtime succeeding, but at the cost of great story structure. Lastly, I'll point out that my favorite thing, you know, I want to point out Another positive thing for me, my favorite thing is that the film really strives and shines when it comes to representation of different people from different backgrounds and cultures. You know, we get very accurate and believable black characters that aren't stereotypes, but rather feel like real people, Uh, not just serving an agenda of false diversity, but truly representing. Um, Also, we get an LGBTQ couple that also fits that like sense of real people. Both feel unique, both feel genuine. Though, I really wish that they had a bigger part to play in the film because they genuinely could have, like, like they, they could have added so much more because we love these characters and, and we feel robbed that we don't get more of them. And they, they, they even bring some of the better, some of the best laughs in the film come from these characters and we just don't get enough of them. Unfortunately, the film's endearing characters and laugh. Unfortunately, the film's endearing characters and laugh out loud moments were not enough to save the uninspired story and bad editing, which I really don't even want to get into without talking about spoilers. Colby Mack, it is on you now. I want to get your general thoughts, which we have not heard at all. Yo, so I think I just watched the dopest damn ghost story I've ever seen in my life. Um, It's interesting how much this film subverts expectations, but completely met mine. This has been my most anticipated movie for over two years. When I heard that, one, they weren't remaking Candyman that it would be a spiritual sequel in the greatest sense, that spiritual part, this movie felt like a Negro spiritual that was particularly cultivated and curated for folks that look like me, that grew up with these varying tales of ghost stories and kind of how they all come together. And the beauty of what a ghost story is is that it takes people to fuel it based off their fear. And Nia DaCosta immediately, before the film begins, puts you at an uneasy place because 
our typical scrolly marquee of the universal logo is flipped. It's a mirror reflection. The same goes for the next studio and production company, then seeing Monkey Paul. And for a second, I'm like, yo, is there something wrong with the projector? The fact that this director, with her eye, because immediately preceding that, uh, succeeding that, is this upside down tour through Chicago in the night sky, and it looks amazing. Her visuals are really, really great. There's something that's very geographic about them. Um, very, very artistic. Um, I immediately just kind of was like ensnared by every image that was on the screen. And I thought it was really great how this story feel, felt really inspired in the sense that it's taking this source material and then expanding upon it, like what you do with a ghost story. It's kind of like a game of telephone where you start out with something and they can spiral into something else because other people have put their own thing onto it. And what felt really, really small with Candyman that came out in 1992, now keep in mind, I watched that movie at an entirely too early age. Like I was like five years old, had no business watching that movie, scared the hell out of me. And this ends up being scarier. And it is so hard to scare and thrill people in 2021. I just got finished watching it and my entire audience, keep in mind, I'm in Atlanta. My entire audience was shook because like Shama and Raul have, have, have indicated, this movie is a bit unexpected. I had no idea the level of body horror that was going to be in it. And to Raul's yeah. point, this is definitely something that is not for everybody, but damn was it for me. Entirety of this movie was for me. Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Tiana Paris, Coleman Domingo, like, my goodness gracious, there's some great work that's being done. The physical transformation with this man, great. Tiona, yo, she's quickly becoming like my favorite final girl. Coleman Domingo, this dude can never not be cool, even... Yeah in a role like this. And while there's some hiccups along the way with the screenwriting, I'm going to place it at the feet of some of the performances outside of our principal characters. But with the music, the visuals, and all of this tightly within 90 minutes, which is really unexpected, whoo, knocked me off to be one of my favorite movies of the year. Of the year? Okay. The year. Okay. All right. So I like it. I like it. I like the differing opinions. Reasonable analysis, like from your point of view, like because like, I, I didn't see you like stressing on on the bad things as great. Like you, you, you pointed to some flaws and that's like, at least it's like reasonable so far. Right. So I think that's that's our non-spoiler general thoughts. We're going to get into spoiler conversations, talk a little bit more in depth what this film was doing, what this film was saying, trying to say, maybe didn't quite get there for some people and definitely got there for others. So we're going to get into that. Uh, so yeah, if you have not seen the film and you don't want to have any spoilers, this is where you want to pause it. I appreciate the listen. Uh, come make sure you come back after you watch the film and listen to the rest of our combo because I'm sure we're going to have a good time. Uh, yeah, so spoilers ahead. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a spoiler. 
So, Colby Mack, I want to start with you because I know that clearly you love this film. It, you know, now that we know no holds bar, not worried about spoilers. What stood out to you specifically that you really latched onto that you said, you know what? Like, like I can get behind this and it really still, even now sticks. Cause like, that's the thing about horror, right? It really sticks with you. So what is it even now that you're like, wow, that really stuck out to me. And I'm latched onto that. The way that this film can balance out the tone, it shifts between true being a horror to being a black American horror story to being and having this injection of comedy at just the right times It never undercuts the heaviness of any scenes. And I think that the timing throughout this film just really, really worked for me. That this is the coolest looking and sleekest looking majority black led film in the horror space. And it's funny because I was on Twitter a little bit earlier and somebody had asked like, you know, what is your favorite, you know, um, black led horror movie and i said it's funny there's very not many that come to mind yeah i was gonna say like like i cannot right now if you were to put a gun to my head name 10 i'm not allowed to say candy man you're dead dead. (laughs) yes you know what i'm saying and it's one of those things where obviously like yo i'm a 34 year old black man so i grew up in a space where these stories these characters you know they belong to me right so it was you know, no matter what, this film belonged to me. And when I was seeing people gather at the entrance of the film, getting their popcorn, I recognized that. I said that very specifically. I could tell that this story is a curated experience. And it can feel a bit detached for some audiences because I don't want to say it's not meant for everybody. This is not easily accessible or digestible for everyone, especially with the themes that are underneath this film. And it's weird because this film is very blunt and it can also feel very abrupt, especially with the heavy handedness nature in regards to gentrification and American policing. But I think that's what I loved about it because this film was boldly black and didn't give any F's about it. So... Who is this film made for and who is it not made for? See, I don't believe that this film is not made for anyone in particular. This is definitely made with the intention of these stories that we've created. Thing is, for a lot of folks, oh, like, let, okay, let me correct. Uh, no, you said, no, 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 real, real quick. They're, her, the brother's character, right? I, I, I forget his name, but he's, you know, he's, you know, um, he said, we don't break mirrors. Did you understand the reference? Troy Cartwright is his character name. Yeah, um, Troy. We don't break, no. Okay. In black culture, we don't F with mirrors. We just don't. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, black folks keeping shopping bags inside of their, you know, it, 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 you know, it's inside of their, uh, um, you know, we don't, we don't dispose of shopping bags. We keep them as garbage bags, things like that. Those uh-huh. little things that are specific to a culture that is like an inside thing to Hispanics, us. Hispanics do that. Exactly. So, you yeah. all have, we all, we all have it. Egyptians, is, is, it, so, you know, it <laughs> is, the, is the mirror thing just an idea of like, we don't need any more bad luck? Correct. We we are we are we are innately superstitious. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's like we don't Agreed. we don't A2. mess with mirrors at all. We don't like looking at mirrors. If we don't have to. We don't like taking pictures if we don't have to. Anything that can be able to like like that's to do with the soul and like things looking at you. We we're don't mess with mirrors. Inside the house. So. You know. So the moment that she told her brother that he broke a mirror, he was like, uh uh-uh. uh Don't be saying that into a mirror. Don't talk about. We don't mess with mirrors. You know. Um. Another little instance, right? When she enters inside the laundromat and she opens up the door. Yeah, no. You're going to notice in the audience, if you, I, I challenge you to watch the movie again at a theater, how many people get what just happened. And also yeah. the kind of double reference that it has to Jordan Peele's new film, new film which is called what? No. Uh, uh, nope. Nope, yeah. yeah. Sorry, nope. But the thing is, there's a certain inflection to that. And Tiana landed it. That's when anybody, yo, anybody listening to this right now, when you see the poster for Jordan Peele's Nope, Imagine Tiana Paris as Brianna in this film saying, nope, that's how, like, that's the inflection. That's the special connectivity that certain audiences will have to this. Not that it's not meant for all audiences, but there's something even more special with that. In the same way that I'm sure that there's going to be particular ways that you connect it to In the Heights because there's things that are innate to your culture. We're not comparing this to Indites. Correct. It's I'm not just what saying, we're do. no, no, what we're doing is the, 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 the cultural <laughs> connections that are differences no, no, between no, no, us. I, no, no, I, yeah, okay. I get that. I agree. And, and, and I agree to that to that effect. But that your point is, is you know, it supports my point that I made earlier. Was like, I think one of the greatest things about this film is the accurate representation of the characters within the film. Um, I think I think it all felt like that's one of the biggest things. Like I love the laughs. Like the, the laughs were great. Yeah. Um, the Those moments felt so genuine, you know, especially for where we grew up, you know, Chicago. We grew up in New York. And like this is like it just felt like what we're used to, yeah. you know. And so it all felt just very genuine and very real. And I love that. I love the conversations that felt genuine. Um you know these the the low key conversations that felt like they influenced the film the least. You know, like just yes. like hanging out, yes. hanging out, and just like having a good time and talking crap and like all mm-hmm. this stuff. You know, when she says, "Oh, he must really like you because he's really showing his ass." You know, like I love these moments, and I was just mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this!" It, it all just felt so good. Yeah. Um. So so I I feel like yes, absolutely, I'm with you yeah. on that. And, and 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 keep in mind and then. For folks that keep hearing this podcast, I'll keep saying it to kind of understand where I'm going with, right? What's the one of the biggest things that I need in regards to making a film work on me? Do I believe in this world? Check. I believe in this world. Do I believe in these characters? Check. Do I believe in their conflict and their goals and did they achieve them? I think that's where we could probably like differ a little bit, right? Yes. And I'll say... I love that you brought this up because I point this out in my written review. I don't believe in this world. Okay. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand what it's trying to get me to understand. I get, I get the social commentary. Okay. Okay. I feel like that is very, very clear, Mm -hmm. but what I don't understand is it, 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 you know, here's a very simple example is the, the, if you, and I, I purposefully walked into this film. I, I like you. I watched the original at an entirely too young of an age. 
probably also about five or six, right? I went through a phase. My mom, that's all she watched. We only had one TV. I've said this a couple times on the show, and we watched whatever she watched. She solely watched horror movies, okay? Um, so I watched it when I was very young. I refused to watch it again leading into this one. I don't know if y'all did. I did not uh, because I wanted to be able to judge this film on its own merit. And from my first, I watched it twice from my first viewing. I was confused and had to kind of rewind in my mind and figure out why the bees are important. And I'm like, why the bees? Why the bees? Like we, oh, in passing, Coleman Domingo's character mentioned the guy that was smothered with honey and the, they fed, they, basically the bees were on him. Okay, so that's probably has something to do because he's part of the hive. No, no, he is the guy. He is Candyman. That's the guy. You know what I mean? And so that's very important. And if you don't watch that original, you miss it. On my second viewing, I paid more attention to it. But, like, you're watching this movie, and I'm just like, what is the point of the bees? At, at some point, are they going to explain to me the bees? So, I that you know what I mean? Like, I just don't believe, and I don't think the world is fleshed out or explained enough. Listen, it has been 30 years. What's the point the of a hockey mask? The hockey mask in what? For Jason. It is to conceal his deformed face. Why not change it to something different? That's, that's It's not the same. Okay. <laughs> Okay. The hockey mask does not play this huge themed thing, whereas like it, it really doesn't play that big a part. If you don't see Jason, you're not seeing the mask. The mask is solely there to represent him. The the bees are like we see them by themselves. We don't even see Candyman. We'll see the bees. Well, because they, they remember the the bees are essentially a representation of the like we understand this is a ghost story, right? And the, the one of the coolest things that I love about ghost stories, a ghost story is obviously it, it includes a ghost, right? And it takes a premise and this possibility of ghosts in a particular place, and they come on its own accord, right? And with any type of ghost lore, the same thing with like Freddy or, or any of these other like classic horror, you know, movie monsters and things of that nature, right? What fuels the what fuels these entities is their presence and their reason for being, right? Typically with a ghost, they are there for unfinished business. Specifically in this narrative, this entity, right, only exists in this particular one, only exists because of so much pain. I love the fact that I had to write this down. I had to whip up my phone. And hey, when I whip my phone out in the movie theater, for those that are listening, I have it all the way dimmed. I got it tucked underneath my hat and stuff like that. So that way I'm not like deterring like anybody's stuff. He says specifically a story. I gotta do it in the coma voice. A story like that, a pain like that, lasts forever. Yeah. This, in this particular location, there has been an evolution of mountains of pain, all relative to specific brutalization of black and brown bodies in there. It's become this evil. This evil presence that all it wants to do is do more evil, right? It's just this thing that grows and it needs to be fed. And essentially, Coleman Domingo's character, and I will say this, it does seem this abrupt switch and it is completely, oh, it comes out of nowhere. And I think that's for, for a lot of folks, it's so jarring. They immediately get, oh, I'm detached because I don't know what's going on. What happened? He's essentially an acolyte. 
We know, like he, we know for a fact that this boy has seen, he remember, he said he saw fear that day. He saw the physical embodiment of fear. When you what? talk about the bees, the symbolism of like, no, no, it wasn't bees that were swarming um, that body from the Candyman. It was the cops coming into quote unquote detain or savagely beat and murder. You know who they mm-hmm. who they believe was you know um, uh, a perpetrator. That, that, that's 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 difficulty too. Is that he refers to Candyman as the hive later? He refers then, to Candyman as the hive. Then then he refers to the police as the swarm. Correct, and that's caused confusion. Like I have to. And causes this. confusion. Yeah, it's confusing from lots of people. Like after like screener after people watching the movie, like it caused confusion. Especially to the point that lots of people mentioned there that they believe that there was like two or three scenes cut from this part or a shot to do the yeah. transition for Coleman, Coleman Dominguez's character, like to mention something. Something I definitely was think there's there. a yeah. Oh, I, 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 would, I would agree. There, there I think there's a two-hour version nuance. of this movie, and there, and and oh, like we and here, hours, here's, we need two hours. Here, here, I think there's a two-hour version of this movie. And here, real quick, here's another thing about the world that I have a really hard time with. Okay, it. There's this thing of like, it's never un- it, it it we're led to believe that Anthony McCoy brought back or reawoke the spirit of Candyman. He even says that I did it. I brought it back, right? Mm-hmm. And Coleman Domingo is like, I always knew the son would the the child would come back. And like, because like, it's just meant to be. And like, when I saw you, no, 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 you did not just see this black man standing in this neighborhood and go, that's the child from 30 years ago. Well, this, this didn't, I mean, keep in mind, let me, he, he was there, right? Um, obviously, you know, obviously aunt was, Anthony was there, right? Like this, this was something that that he had to break into, you know? So imagine this person. Okay. I, I'm just saying, like one, you can't like. Is he just seeing every black man and going that might be the child from 30 years ago that's going to bring back Candyman? No, I think the events that proceeded after, um, after that is what like led him to believe, like, oh my gosh, this is it. Remember when Anthony with Anthony, when Anthony returns to Cabrini Greens, what do we have happen? He takes an interest. In the story, that's why he's there. He incorporates the but art. Why did he go to Caprini Green? Like what? Because what, Troy told him the ghost. Troy story. told him exactly. Yeah. So what was like Coleman Dominguez's character waiting for to bring him there? Like, uh, like it, it just like coincidental happened. Like uh, that. Like I mean, he, he co- we're movies. Movies are all about coincidence. Yes, but like that's my whole not that's great my, ones. My point. My point here that took away because there was like it was has been very easy. For something to happen from Helen Lyle, like the, or the uh-huh. when, when she took the baby and give it give it to the mom again, uh, his mom could have brought him back in a way or another. Like, or he goes to the doctor, or if he w- went to the hospital. That scene when he went to the hospital and he knew where he's from or where he was born could have sent him there. So at least we will know how he has been. He he knew the original like because if he if he just like waited for Troy to tell him that. Then he will start like reading about it. Then he will break in to go to go there. It could have been an easier well, way from his mom, fair. or for a bee to appear in his life because like he's the chosen one in a way or another because he was supposed to to die when he was a child. So mm-hmm. if a bee came to him 
at this end, he got stung. And when he goes to the hospital, when he knew that, like, oh, we know that you were born here, so that's where he will go and search for his past. It would have been way, way stronger. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I was yeah. waiting to talk about this, I like, just... in my thought, in this point, yeah. you know. Like, yeah. just cut it from the end, put it at the beginning, so enhance yeah. it this way. I just don't, yeah, and I just don't believe how it all came together. And, again, without seeing the original, I don't understand why he is of any import at all to Candyman. If I'm just watching this film. I don't think you need to see the original to watch this movie. But he said it in the puppet in the sh- puppet shadows. When Correct. Said, like, That's what I'm saying. We're, we're, we're taking the pieces of that story. That was another chapter in the story. And and Helen took it out from there. And that's why yes. Vanessa Williams' scene was like the best, the best out of the like. She is, she, she is incredible. No, she, no, no. But but, but 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 in this film, Anthony McCoy is only used to add to the hive. Correct. Yeah. And the re- and the reason why the hive didn't grow is why the town, ta- like remember, the people in that neighborhood are no longer there, so they can't perpetuate the ghost story. The strength of that, the strength of that evil manifestation is in that place. Where are the people from that place? They're gone. So he's Freddy Krueger. Correct. So if the like, government, that's, that, like, that, that's, that's 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 that was that, the point of the he's original. The Freddy, he's the Freddy Krueger of the hood. Of the hood. If, if the yes, government, that's like that was the reason why they made the first the movie. Whole, the whole place and destroyed the church there, like and everything yes. that was left there, nothing will will last. Nothing will be there anymore. I doubt it. I, I, I just, just think, I I just think the way the story is brought together feels like they just want us to accept it. Rather than telling us a story that is believable and actually brings it all together, so I mean, you know, I, yes, I, 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 it took away from our like, like building up. We, we need like even like we, we, relying on the original one. Without that, we, because it's it's a spiritual sequel. So, so question, real, real quick, yes, why is Freddy Krueger Freddy Krueger? Why is he not in hell? The thing is that Freddy Krueger is explained. That's what I'm getting at. Explain is that, him. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that he's... Freddy, any- Freddy Krueger is it, it, it very much like Candyman. Uh-huh. He is an evil entity yep. that suffered and like he was an evil man in life. For, for doing something... Where, yeah, that, in this uh-huh. instance, you know, Candyman yeah. didn't do anything wrong. No, no, no. And it depends on the interpretation, right? There's another interpretation that says yes. he didn't do anything and yes. then he did. Like in the originals... In the original, I don't he think did something he- wrong. And then it was like, oh no, it really wasn't him. You know... Yeah. yeah, so it's it's, but at the end of the day, he's he's an he's an angry spirit that basically became a demon, and he needs the strength of fear and belief, very much like Candyman says, you know, spread my name. Yes. It's just very much that's what Freddy Krueger wants. But yeah. his whole thing is just to wreak havoc so, upon the street because and this whole city, yeah, because they are the ones that brought him to suffering. Yeah. Correct. But and 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 I'll, and I'll say this. Going into the 1992 film and this one, that that I know that of Candyman, like I Candyman was made to essentially be Freddy Krueger for black audiences. Yeah, I didn't know that. So black, but black audiences do know that. So and maybe this is to your point, right? Not that this film isn't made for anyone else, but we we are in on it. We understand Candyman. But I think it's important to make everyone understand Candyman. I think I think still within the text it does. Like Coleman Domingo, the exposition done in the puppetry in the second act, and then that was brought back again when he expanded on it. Because remember, he doesn't. He's not sitting here like you know biding his time, waiting in the shadows. I hope that I can be able to have my thing. No, 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 no. Right. 
it comes to him at the dry cleaner that second time. I mean, at the laundromat, it was like, I don't understand what's going on. He's like, you know, who is he? He's not a he. He's a whole damn hive. And then he kind of goes into it. Oh, this, this guy has come back to me. What is it about this man? Now, could we have had another scene where we kind of see this back room in the laundromat where, you know, there's clippings and stuff like that of, you know, all these different articles and he's trying to piece things together. Could he be it? You know, when is the baby going to return? Like, and stuff like that. We could have had that, right? Um, I didn't necessarily know, like, um, with some of those flashback scenes that we got of uh, of Coleman Domingo's character and of Tiana Paris's character, like, I thought, one, her backstory, I thought was hella interesting. And that line that was espoused from Troy, her brother, about you don't have to wait around for these um, these damaged artists to die. Because, like, right. I thought that was, like, really, really cool into, like, her it was funny that like people were saying like, oh, a lot of these characters aren't three dimensional. In what way is Brianna not three dimensional? I, I so so I so I I agree that about I think I think we needed so much more. Maybe not three. I think three dimensional. I, I I think we needed so much more about her brother and his partner because they were so interesting. But Tiana, yeah, they're interesting, like, but it's not, it's I, not, it's not, they're side characters for a reason. No, no, no. But we still can have we still can elaborate on these characters. Also, like the fact that they never have an encounter is wild to me. Like, and like Wait, we do not use them in some way, even if they do not summon him yes. themselves. Yes. The okay. fact that they never have an encounter that we uh-huh. they're so likable, probably the most likable characters in the movie, and we never worry about their safety is very uh, it's very upsetting. But but I don't want to get lost. The, the boy, I don't want to get lost in Tiana True. Paris. Hold Wait, on. Real quick. The boyfriend does challenge him to do it. And he says, nah, I'm not doing that. Because I know, that, that I, would no, have been the thing. Like the last thing that we don't need is to kill gay characters in this movie. No, no, no. no. And, I, and, and I didn't need them to die. At least okay. go to the gallery with his sister. Like if his sister yeah. is making an event, at okay. least go to the gallery. Like forget something at the gallery and like run inside and grab it. Like oh my gosh, like something bad gonna I happen needed, to him. Yeah. It was I needed, way more utilized. You know, like I needed the, to the, think they would die. I needed yeah. to think they I would. Die. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I loved them. Everybody loved them. Tiana Paris's character. We needed so much more because yes, her story is so interesting, and yet, we, we where is it? Like we we get we it's like way later in the film that we hear anything about her backstory, and then all of a sudden it's just like oh, it's just here, and then we're gonna like forget about it again, and then we're gonna mention it again, right? The art curator's just like oh, with your dad's story, and then the brother's like, are we gonna sell his arts? What are she's like, no, I don't want it, and and I'm just like oh, this is interesting, and like, and then the film ends. And like, and and it could be something that we're touching on later, but it doesn't really feel that way. And so it really feels like the film could have been much more condensed, right? Less about this like artist that's doing this and doing that and more about their relationship, his doing some kind of project, her trying to do something else and her trying to not let him become her father. Like, I feel like that would have been a really solid story as we're kind of seeing this like thing of Candyman around them. And I, I think that would have been really interesting to see. Exactly. Uh, but we don't we we don't get enough of any of them. Now I I wanna last thing I want to mention is I want to talk about one thing that really stood out to me. One, because this is related, uh the art critic's death is the best death. It's absolutely it's incredible. A, it's a great death. I and wish I wish I wish their perform- I wish their performances were equally as great. Those performances yeah. were not good. Like no, so, no, no, they were no, not. They I, were I not literally great. took my phone out and I said, "Okay, either this screenwriting is bad 
or they're bad and it's making the screenwriting look bad. Because those words, I'm like, yo, if I would have, they had, they lacked so much timing, those actors. And because I don't know who they are, I'm just gonna say they're very green. Hey, yo, shout out to this being like your first, like your first job. But yeah, that could have been done better. Cause there was things that you say, he was like, go fast, go fast. I'm like, who are you talking to, bro? Like what is going on? It it just, I, I, I don't know. But like, I knew the setup was they're about to die. Um, yeah. But like the way that it looked was amazing. The slow, amazing. Like, the way that the curtain, like, yeah. you know, ripped off so and the good. blood. That was so cool. It, that's what oh, no, no, not that. The, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about from the balcony, the yeah, woman the that gets lifted exactly. in the air and slammed against oh, yeah, the glass. And we pull out All the murders are great. They're really, really cool looking. Like this, when I tell you, this is like the coolest looking the horror cool movie. One, yeah, the one in the bathroom in the school as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, and those are really all I'd the see, ones that we need. I didn't, I, I didn't like the school one because people just kept walking off frame and die. Walking, yeah, off but frame then we also die. got, walking we also got the shots die. inside of the of the compact mirror, which I thought was pretty cool. We were able to see. Yeah, it, no, the compact you know? mirror was definitely. Cool. And plus, also but, with, your, with your gripes about body horror, do you want to see these these teenage girls mutilated? We can't, we can't. Depict no, that. I just, I just don't like what we do see. Like, I don't like that the girl looks from under and we just see like this like uh 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 what waterfall the blood, blood the blood looked a little bit glue like yeah but, but it's what, yeah. I, what i wanted to get at is i love the mo i love the conversation and i think this is what i took away the most i love the conversation between him and the critic where mm. she says it's you people the artists Yo, everybody Yo, it was in my so room, good. I, 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 uh-huh. I, we all collectively said, what? What? That's, you don't, we don't get that in regular movies. Like, yeah. the, the way that this movie, and it's weird that people, like, I, I'm in my mind, I'm hearing all the gripes and people talk about pacing and stuff like that. This movie made that line specifically to make the audience stop for a second because it obviously had a double meaning. Because even our character said, wait, it's the fuck did you just say? Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me? And then she goes into it about how artists themselves and then he he revisits that later when he goes to her crib and stuff like that. And right? that's and that that's the incredible part where she says, you know, the city like made this mm-hmm. and then closed them in and let it die. Yes. And then invited mostly white, if not all white, artists and said, Hey, this is cheap rent. And if you stay here long enough, maybe we'll bring in a Whole Foods. And I'm just like, yo, we, yo, yo, once again, the entire audience laughed, like right there, it, like yeah. cut up. It's it, true, and it's like, and yeah. well written and well executed here, yeah, yeah. And the, just the idea of that, I thought really, really resonated, and I loved it a lot. And I love that conversation, and I love that commentary in particular, that commentary on the gentrification, right? Because I think it's easy to just say. Oh, well, like they're just kicking us out. Oh, they just came in and kicked us out. They just came in and kicked us out. They just came. No, no, no. They they built it this way to 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 close in a community of people that we did not want out. And then we locked them in here and we choked the life out of them. And when they died, we rebuilt. Yeah. And I thought that was yep. just something that really, really was powerful and 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 just really hit the symbolism very close for me. In this movie, so strong. There was a line that Coleman Dillon said, They love what we make, but not yeah. us. Yeah. And it, 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 yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm, like I said, this this movie just, it worked for me on so many levels. I can understand some of the gripes that y'all have 
And I, I, I cannot sit here and say, oh, it's just a cultural difference or like that. I think it's, yo, whether you like that, it was for you or if it's not. But like, like I said, you, you said you had a, an issue with the editing. I, I don't know necessarily what you was it like uh, like uh, like bad cuts or like I think I I think there are there are moments that I think could have been capitalized on I think that moment at the very beginning of the film where he steps out mm-hmm. I think there's a moment there's a closer shot there's a way to edit that where we're cutting faster that would have made that it, it it felt it felt comedic and I was like is it that this guy's just bad at looking intimidating and scary and i and later you're just like oh i guess he's not supposed to be because he's not actually a creepy guy that takes children and kills them he's he's just a guy that hands out candy and he was mislabeled and that and we hear that story later and so it all kind of makes sense but like that first thing i feel like we we should have felt like he's intimidating and i don't think it felt that way and i think the editing had a lot to do with that and i think we lingered on things a bit too long. I think the moment in the hospital absolutely killed me. I think that that scene in the hospital only serves one purpose, and it is to get the information out that he's from Cabrini Green. Correct. And and it's such a wasted scene, and it felt like, like bro, the fact, like it literally, she says, no, you're from Cabrini Green. He's like, nah, I'm not. And she's like, no, you definitely are. And then literally, her audio fades out, and we cut away. And it's like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Why, like his arm is rotting off, and then all of a sudden he shows up later as if he just walked away in that moment. Like I would have preferred to linger there and hear what she's saying. Bro, he immediately goes to rush to go to his mama's house. Like, um, but that's not clear, right? It's not clear that he does. It seems like he just stays there. So if we had lingered there, and then he gets up as she's talking and walk, and like, I gotta go, I'll be back. Like that would have felt better, but the, the the way that it's edited, it it just feels like oh, the scene is just here to fulfill this purpose of getting us this information, which is not great storytelling. It's not great filmmaking. It's just not great way to get stuff across because it literally feels forced, and the audience is too smart to just like not understand that that's what's happening. And I know you disagree with me, and that's okay. <laughs> no, it it it. it I think there's a lot of moments like that in this film. And I think that's where, so you said this film was horrifying to you and your audience was shook. I did not sense that at all from my audience and my audience, it was packed and I did not feel that at all. I felt like we, I felt like people found it more comedic than they did scary. And they found it definitely more disturbing in a visual sense than they did scary. And I think that the editing has so much to do with that because horror films are so dependent on that cinematography Yes, on performances and on editing. Editing has to be just like action movies are very dependent on editing. So I mean, they they all are, but like horror and it it just it's so dependent on making sure that you capitalize on those horrific moments. I also think the pacing hurt that because for some reason this film just drags for so long without anything, without anything. We just don't we we don't get we barely get anything at all, and then all of a sudden it's just like so much candy, man. So it, 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 you know what I mean? Then we're just overwhelmed and then we don't get an opportunity to be scared. Whereas like we should have been scared from the beginning of the film. I just want to shout out Tony Todd. It was great to be able to see him back. That, 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 that was, that was great to be able to get that iconic voice. Um, I want to write, I need to get down the transcription of um, the lines at the end when essentially, you know, 
Anthony becomes Candyman. And, you know, he's taking out these cops. Oh, but I want to ask you, and let this be the last thing we end on. What did you think of the final scene um, of essentially the cop coming in and, you know, doing bad policing, <laughs> you know, and, which is definitely a commentary on the state of like, you know, where we are as a country. And then immediately taking this person who is a victim in handcuffs into a cop car to try to coerce her into pushing a false narrative so that way they don't get in trouble. It, it, I think felt, it felt very much like what the end of Get Out was. It did not feel that way at all. Okay. Um, and the reason it didn't feel that way at all to me is because the, it felt – it didn't make sense to me. Um, oh, yes, let's yes, go there. Yeah. Yes, it's bad policing. Absolutely. And I believe that there is a lot of bad policing out there. What didn't make sense to me is the fact that she's laying in his arms and they shot where they could have hit her. They literally, like, he's, he, like, I would have much preferred if he was standing having a conversation with her, maybe leaning against a wall injured because his arm is bleeding out. But, like, they're going li- to literally shoot at her lap to kill him. It just felt, it, it, it just, it, now the whole scene in the car made perfect sense. But it did not, it didn't have the effect because I'm still too stuck on the idea. It's just like, why did this happen this way? So if, if I could, one, cops don't care who they're shooting at. Their job is just to be there to shoot. And I think that's definitely a cultural difference where I completely believe that because I've seen it and experienced it. So I, I, I think there's really not a way to be able to sell that scene unless it feels real. And I think being absent of but those dynamics working that's very real. The thing is you're making you're, – again, you're explaining the film for a very small percentage of people but that you're saying are going to believe. this very small percentage. I know, but you still have to make everyone understand it. So do we dramatize it to essentially let say – like, Let me interfere here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm in between both of you. Like I felt like that I needed to see the fear in her eyes that like she's feeling, oh my gosh. They shot me because, like, she gave me this feeling that, like, she's getting. Oh, I love that moment. Yeah, Yeah, I love that moment. And I feel that, like, this is true. That, like, when they. I love that moment. Absolutely. When they went inside, they are just, like, shooting because, like, they will shoot. If if it shot her, it's okay. If she if it didn't get into her, it's uh, it's whatever you know. But so I I I was not bothered that much by that uh, by the way that it was it was but on purpose. Do you think so, Shaman? Because I, I feel where you're coming from, Raul. I feel like it was blunt on purpose to make it very real that cops just come in to shoot. That's what I feel like the goal of that specific scene is. It is when cops are called, and Como Domingo even hinted at it. Oh, oh no, matter of fact, no, the critic, no, no, my apologies, it wasn't the critic that hinted at it. It was um, uh, 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 Virginia Madsen's character in the previous film on the audio tape that he was listening to that said, this, yeah. yeah, this is why they don't call the cops for that to happen. And that's the connection that I made. I'd rather deal with this demonic entity than this cop because I may have a chance with the demon. I don't have a chance whether on if I'm the victim or if I'm the victimizer, right, where somehow I can end up with a bullet in me. And I thought that that was purposely meant to be very blunt. The only part that I didn't like about the scene was the performance of that detective or that cop in the car. I feel like his line delivery was not good. I, 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 I think that there there needed to be a more seasoned actor, somebody who we know as a collective audience that can kind of grasp to, to come in there and be like, and, and also 
that scene was a little bit too quick. I pro- like if I if I'm if I'm the if I'm the detective, I'm like, you, like you know, th- th- there's an air of everything's gonna be okay. Let me just kind of calm you down, right? Um, are you good? Are you hit? Right? Let me put you down. I know this mess hurt. I just gonna, I, you know, for my safety, I just need to be able to keep you inside this there. Like, and I need. I almost wanted Brianna's character to be a bit incensed, not sure what's going on, and this cop trying to calm her because there's cops that are depicted in the screen that have this very calming presence. Like, I'm going to assert this thing, and then they slickly go in and turn it. Uh, are you okay? This is. I, I can understand. This is very bad happening. Blah 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 blah. And go in there. I mean, you saw my cop. He tried to get in there, and and and, and he had no choice. Right? Like trying to sell her on it, and almost she had to like. She was almost convinced by it. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? Like the, uh-huh. the, the way that that delivery, like almost convinces her until she catches herself, and she's like, "No." And then she has to recognize that everything that Coleman Domingo was saying in his crazed, you know, where he was when he like fully became, you know, like the acolyte again and stuff like that, of what she needed to do. Because I can understand in some audiences that choice that she makes feels very abrupt and against the nature that we saw in the majority of the film. I completely understand that. It worked for me, but I can understand why it couldn't because there wasn't more time in that specific scene and the performance from that cop wasn't doing enough for her to be able to feed off of to be able to say where the, it fools the entire audience, right? And like he's like he almost thinks that he's got it from her. And she says, "I need to see myself in the mirror." And they were like, "Oh, she's going to do it. She's going to do it." Sure, whatever you need, you know? So just understand, the cop did this. Candyman, what? Can- like, and then we know, like that, that's that's that would have made honestly. If I would have got that, I probably would have given this a perfect score. Because everything else in the film was just like hitting, 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 hitting for your boy. One good thing in the movie that was really uh, near perfect was the music and the soundtrack. Music was like was if we would have had the same my name play, and I and I know for a fact that folks would have said, "Oh, they're doing that same thing that they did with Jordan Peele's Us." And I can imagine it must have been so tough for Nia DaCosta as a rising film director to work underneath essentially a man who, which kind of sucks, is stealing a lot of the shine for this movie. I mean, there are critics and movie reviewers that are saying Jordan Peele's Candyman. You know what I'm saying? Granted, yes, he did write this script, but it is Nia DaCosta's movie. And it sucks. So I wonder if she made a conscious choice of like, not having that music insertion to be right at the end. Because imagine that scene with, say my name, say my name. The moment that he starts hovering with the bees around him and his face is changing from each evolution of the Candyman hive kind of coming out and then killing all these cops. A lot of people would have said, oh, they're doing that thing when it was Red versus Adelaide and Us when the I Got Five on it, you know, horror remix played. Tough spot. No, I would have done it. Yeah. It's oh, tough. It, it, it would have been great, but then I know yeah. there would have been those folks like, oh, let's do the us thing. It's definitely a tough spot to be in. I can't imagine um, having that pressure. So, especially, you know, Homeboy won a, an Academy Award with his first film. <laughs> and, and now he's here. And he's just like, eh. um, <laughs> Now, mind you, I thought this film would feel a lot more Jordan Peele. It did not feel Jordan no. Peele to me. It felt like a totally different filmmaker. I agree. To me. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, for better or worse. I think it felt like a totally different filmmaker to me, which is good um, for which her. I, 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 yes, I'm happy about. Yeah, I did not too. want. To, I did not want this to feel like a Jordan Peele film. It's not a Jordan Peele film, mm-hmm. so I didn't want it to feel. It shouldn't have felt like a Jordan Peele film. I don't think that having 
a horror remix of a classic song would have made a Jordan Peele. I think Jordan Peele films, the two that we've gotten, have a feel to them all their own without that music. So, uh, but yo, uh, nah, I, I, I dug this convo. Uh, I love that we are on such opposing views on it. So I want to get, I'm going to do, uh, since me and Shama are closer on it, I'll start with Shama. And then we'll put Colby's beautiful score in the middle. And then I'll do mine to close this out. Shama. We don't even know what's his. No, but he said he was almost at a perfect score if it was for that one scene. So I'm guessing he's pretty high. Shama, what's your uh, report card for this? 6.5. Colby Mack. Nine. Oh, I expected like 8.5, like not nine. I am at a 5.5. Which gives us a cumulative M report card of a seven. Okay, that's good. I like that it's seven. Okay, I feel like it's an overall seven. Okay, yeah, that is it for our conversation today on Nia da Costa's Candyman. Everybody that is on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate you letting leaving us a review on there. Takes like 10 seconds. Yo, go on there. Leave us a review. Helps us out a lot. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot for that in advance. Colby Mack. Yo, where can the folks find your work? Yo, you can follow your boy. I am on all the socials at Colby Told Me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and sometimes Clubhouse. Definitely after this conversation, I'm probably going to hop back on Clubhouse uh, to chop it up a little bit more because there's so much meat on this bone left to be able to discuss. But you can also catch my written words at mreportpod.com. I got a review up right now uh, for like definitely top five animated movie of the year with Paw Patrol the movie. Check out the words. You can also check out my review uh, for Free Guy up there right now. So when they ask you where you heard it from, you can tell them Colby told me. Ooh. He's going to get on uh, on Clubhouse and be like, y'all not going to believe what this Puerto Rican said. <laughs> I'm hey. candy, man. Shama, where can the folks find you? They can find me at Mohamed Shama on Twitter and on the podcast all the time. And you can find me at TheRollNevado on Twitter and on Instagram. And we are at MReportPod on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out. Keep an eye out. We've got a lot of good stuff coming. And we got TIFF coverage coming. So keep an eye out for that. But hey, till then, be a part of the show. If you have a report, let us know. This is yours, Minorities Report. Peace. Say my name.